Good morning, church. Thank you so much for coming. We are so glad that we can worship with you today. Let us start our worship service with a prayer of thanksgiving, and then we'll lead into the Lord's Prayer and then head into worship. So if you want to, as I read this, let's just think about things that we might be thankful for. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us all whom you have made. We bless you for your creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life. But above all, for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies, that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives. By giving up ourselves to your service, by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory through all the ages. Amen. Not only with our lips, but with, the, with our lives. Let us praise him and let us go into this worship time praising him and remembering how we are to worship. Let's read the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Hello, Willow Park Church. It's good to see you again today. Um, we are going to start our worship set with a song called Shepherd. And I chose it because we're, we're looking at Psalm 23. And so uh, I wanted us to think about Psalm 23 as we are singing this set and singing these songs. So let me just read it to you. Close your eyes. Take a few moments to just think about what God is telling you. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of a shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, even, even in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. While we are singing these songs, please keep Psalm 23 in your head. Keep it in your heart. Pray to God about what he's talking to you about and worship a part of Psalm 23 while we're singing these songs. Yeah. 
follow where you lead. And you are our shepherd. You take care of us. You lead us in all the right places for your name's sake. Holy Spirit, help us to take time to listen to where you're leading us. Help help us to take time to listen to the paths of righteousness you want us to follow in. And sometimes that's pointing out things that we're not doing great in. And sometimes it's highlighting areas that you want us to start working harder in. But Lord, that you are our strength when we're weak. Help us, Lord. Help us, good shepherd, to rely on you and follow you where you want us to go.
what a powerful name, what a beautiful name, what a wonderful name is Jesus. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Let's make this a little worship time just to Jesus, just between you and him so that he knows that he is everything to you. You have set him first in your life. He is your shepherd. He is your leader. He is your guide. He is your king. He is your love. Let's praise him.
Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. We pray right now for our church and the people that are attending, the people that are at home. We just ask that you be with us. Be with us as we, as we worship together, as we hear your word together. We pray that we'd be open and our hearts and minds would be open to you. We pray for our communities. We pray for loved ones in our lives that that you would continue to open up times and show us ways that we can share your love, to share your message of Jesus, to be proud of who you are, Jesus, and to share your love. We thank you so much for who you are and what you've meant to us, and I pray that as we look to repay and to live for you, we will live a whole life for you. And Father, as we, as we look at Psalm 23, we pray that each and every phrase of this beautiful psalm would hit us in our hearts and our lives we remember your goodness. We remember how much you care for us. Remember the way you've loved us and lived for us and died for us. And I pray that we would walk that back with you. We pray for those in our church that have, that have taken this time that perhaps over the last little while, we've all kind of struggled. We pray that you would call back to us, that we would respond in kind. We love you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And, while, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us from church online or one of our dwell gatherings, welcome and here's your family news. A huge welcome to all of you who are joining us this weekend at one of our dwell gatherings. Just a reminder that you will need to register before each weekend ongoing. Registration opens on Tuesday at 9 a.m. and closes on Saturday at 12 p.m. You can register on our website or using our free Church Center app. If you don't already have the app, be sure to download it today at willowparkchurch.com app. Our next Kids Camp Online is happening August 17th to 21st, and registration is open now at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. Registration closes this Thursday, so be sure to sign up soon.
excited to announce that we are planning two day camps for youth in grades 6 to 10 at the end of August. They will be happening at Maple Springs Bible Camp. For more information and to register, visit cahoots.ca slash ARC. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. First of all, welcome to everybody online. Thank you for joining us. We have a room full. Let's hear you, everybody. Oh, wow. Enthusiastic. There you go. <laughs> I'm very excited because this is the most people we've had in this room in the last few months. And it uh, feels like church planting again. It's great. This would have been a massive win if you were church planting. But we're so grateful you were joining us online. And we've already had our 9 o'clock here this morning. And if you want to join us at the 9 or the 11, then registration opens on, uh, on Tuesday, and you can come and gather. We've got all the protocols in place, and it's just nice being together, even socially distanced and just making fun of one another's face masks, and uh, Lyndon, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing. Lyndon, you always make your face mask look really stylish, just so you know, yeah, but uh, it's, uh, it's good. Let's turn to Psalm 23. We are working through this series that I am really, really enjoying because um, it's just such a wonderful psalm to meditate on and learn. I said last week that it would be great for you to learn Psalm 23 uh, as a family, test one another, uh, have each other stand up and recite it just before dinner or something, have fun with it. But really the aim around that is to actually just enjoy what God is saying to us because this is a really powerful, powerful psalm. Um, it really is kind of aligns us to way, the way that we've been designed to live. Uh, last, a few weeks ago, I talked about how uh, psychologists are telling us now that boredom for children is not a bad thing. Uh, sorry for the young ones in the, uh, in the congregation this morning, but boredom is something that as parents in these days try and get rid of by handing them devices or constant activities, whereas for Gen X and boomers and maybe some of the older millennials, you know, you didn't have that privilege. You were bored, you were bored, find something to do. You know, just uh, don't get into trouble, don't break stuff, don't burn stuff, but just go and find something to do, make sure you're back at dinner, uh, and if not, tomorrow dinner, that's fine too. You know, and, it, and, and off you went. You had to find yourself. Now, I know that the young people are kind of, oh, here we go. You know, I, I get that. But the point is, is that when you're bored, you find stuff to do. Uh, whereas now, and that's where creativity comes. And so there is a little concern that innovation and creativity is going to go down as boredom goes down because there's always a device to look at. It's just an interesting thing to think about, chat around over dinner, uh, argue about with your kids. Uh, so you're welcome for that gift to discuss this week. But for me, when I was, when I was young and very young, 
um, I would have to find things to do. And one of the things that I did and I thoroughly enjoyed doing is I started drawing. And, and uh, especially I would copy cartoons and logos. I don't know if you remember that, mom and dad, but I used to copy them. And, and, and actually, it's interesting because that little activity for me when I was young actually took me all the way through university. I ended up design technology as a teacher at university and graphic design and uh, still help people with logos and branding and that kind of thing. And, it, and it's something that, that is, I've really enjoyed. But one stage, when I was about 13 or 14, and this is like public confession, um, that I, I got into spray painting with, with, with car paint. And I don't even know whether mum and dad know this. But um, I used to, do, used to spray stuff, and, and eventually I used to get asked to do, like I did my school, the, the, the sixth form social area. I graffitied that room. I was asked to do that. Just so you know, I was actually given money to go and do it. And then a church uh, asked me to do their youth room. A local youth pastor said, could you come and make... And this is like the 80s and early 90s where the kind of the hip-hop graffiti was kind of cool. And so I could do that. And, and you know, I was, I was reasonably good at it or at least good enough to be asked to do a few places. And so in this one church youth room, I decided it to be fun to do a graffiti-style Arnold Schwarzenegger pointing at the famous verse that you will find in the Bible, somewhere in the middle, deep in the Hebrew, uh, hell is for wimps. That's what, I, that's what he was pointing at. I was actually asked that wording wasn't mine, but I had Arnold Schwarzenegger pointing. He was holding a Bible, pointing. Do you remember that, Sarah? Pointing at hell is for wimps. It was awesome. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was probably 10 foot tall. He's just muscly. Loved it. And we finished it. Looked great. Did the whole room. And at the end, we were kind of looking at the, all the artwork, pretty, pretty satisfied. And then my friend Phil, who was the youth pastor, said, Arnold Schwarzenegger's got six fingers. And I went, like, what? He said, oh, look. And so what I'd done was, instead of pointing three fingers and then one and a thumb, I'd done that and then another finger on top. <laughs> he was pointing at, like, and I was like, well, what am I going to do? I mean, it looked perfect. I was convinced I was right as I was doing it. And it was only at the end when I actually took a step back and gone, actually, I've just added something in there that doesn't even belong. It's not part of the original design, but you know what? I ain't doing anything about it now. Life is kind of like that. We end up adding things onto our life that we doesn't actually belong, that we weren't even designed to have. But after a while, we kind of shrug and go, well, it is what it is. I'm just kind of going to, that's, that's life. That's the way I that's the way I think, that's the way I react, that's what I say, that's what I do, that's how I live, that's how I respond. It is what it is. People can take it or lump it, as we'd say in Britain, and, you know, it just is what it is. And, and see, ta- Psalm 23 actually gives us an indication of what our design is meant to be like, because as we read it, we actually get a reflection on, ah, oh, this is how life is meant to be lived. It's incredibly practical. And you can't walk away from it going, well... It is what it is. I'm just going to have to accept my, my little foibles, and, and that's that. I mean, and that's at best. At worst, maybe the extra fingers in our lives are, are actually really destructive and problematic. Um, but Psalm 23 gives us that ability to be able to say, well, how are we designed to live? And so as we read through this psalm, I'm going to read it to you. Just reading it, Sarah said at the end of my sermon this morning, she said, just reflecting on the couple of verses that we did this morning, she said, just felt so good. It's just so nice to be reminded 
of the way life should be in the midst of a culture where it just seems like, oh gosh, this just isn't right. You know, this isn't the way life is meant to be lived. So let's just read it. And let's say, I hope that you do, uh, you do learn it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what we heard last week when David was writing this, likely he was sat on a rock, maybe looking out at a load of sheep and reflecting on, on being a shepherd because that was the essence of who David was. He was a shepherd. He was the shepherd king. And I said last week, I really wish that he'd looked at something else. I wish he'd seen a lion or, or a hippo. There was hippos in Israel at that time. Anything but a sheep. Because if you've been around sheep, they're not fun animals. They're, they're pretty dim and they, they smell and they're just like, they, they can't look after themselves. And, but David is saying, look, it's like I'm the sheep and, and God is the shepherd and that he's enough. He's enough. I I will not want anything. I will not lack, in other words. When God is enough in my life, I will not lack. And and then we saw that Jesus, you can link Psalm 23 to John chapter 10, and you can see that Jesus is the good shepherd. He says, look, my flock hear my voice. Follow after me. And there's this beautiful, amazing contrast that both David and John pick up on, that, that God is the Lord, in other words, Yahweh, I am in all his power and beauty and, and, and he's the Alpha and the Omega and it feels like he's untouchable in some ways. And yet he's also a shepherd and a shepherd by definition is a companion that he's close, he's intimate, he's interested in the details of his flock's life. And John picks up this in John chapter 1 where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Talking about Jesus, Jesus in all his divine power, the great I am. And then the very next passage is Jesus at the wedding of Cana, interested in the, the details of this young couple's life. And I, and I said that, you know, often we, we relegate God to the big stuff and we forget that he's actually interested in the details, that he is a shepherd, he's a companion. And then it says, Jesus said, the sheep hear his voice, that he's the divine in the detail and his sheep hear his voice. And I challenged us to think about what voices do we listen to in our culture, in our lives? That are, are they leading us towards lack? Or are they leading us away from lack in the way that the good shepherd does? Have we replaced the good shepherd with things, people, activities, experiences, uh, jobs, businesses, thoughts, voices of our own? Have we replaced that voice and we're following after those voices thinking in that there is life? Where all the time Jesus says, no, follow me, follow me, and I will lead you into life. So today what we're going to do is we're going to start looking at where does Jesus actually lead us. And over the next four weeks after today, we're going to look at specific things about his leading. Specific areas of our lives where he says, I will bring life and life more abundantly. I will bring to the point where you will not lack. 
Next week, we're going to look at how he guides us specifically, his will. His, how do you know you're doing what he wants you to do? And if you're young, you're still at school, this is such an important message. How do I know I am doing what God wants me to do? Regardless of our stage of life, it's important that we position ourselves well with the will of God. How do we know that? And that's next week that he will lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But this week, we're going to jump into perhaps the most famous part of this psalm, apart from the valley of the shadow of death, which I'm going to talk about the week after next, that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. People often memorize this psalm to this point. Like we're really strong up to verse 2, maybe verse 3, and then it kind of goes... So this is a very common part of the verse. But what is it actually talking about? Well, very simply, you know, and you can do this with the Bible, sometimes we dig too deeply. It is what it is. It says what it says. That he makes me lie down. Sometimes I have to be forced. Sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes he will make you lie down. And that can come in a myriad of different ways. Sometimes life will slam into you so hard that it literally knocks you off your feet. Physically, emotionally, he'll make you lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. <sighs> Look at that. That's got to be England. Hey? What do you think, Mum, Dad? That, just, that looks like British green to me. And by the way, if you think that I'm talking madness, the green in Britain is definitely different green than it is here. I don't know what it is. It's kind of a, I don't know, more... more in, more of a great green, like Great Britain, I don't know. And there's a bench here, and I think this is a car back here, which kind of ruins the whole thing. But anyway, this beautiful scene of pastures. Now, I don't see any sheep, but I, I, did, a Google for, uh, I did a Google for green pastures, and this came up, and I thought, you know, that works. It just makes me think, that would be a nice place to sit. It'd be a nice place just to sit, maybe at the end of the day, you know, with a Big Mac and fries. Just... Life's good. There's nothing about that picture that makes me go, I don't want to be there. You see, the beauty of Jesus and following after Jesus is one of the promises that you're going to see resonate through every aspect. And this is so important. You want to sum up Psalm 23? You can sum it up in two words, rest and restoration. That when you live Psalm 23, you are actually going to experience rest and restoration in a number of different ways that we're going to explore in the next few weeks. But ultimately, you will find rest. There's nothing about that picture that's stressful. It just immediately makes you go, okay, it's going to be all right. So I have a question for you. And, you know, if you're watching this online or if you're watching a recording, we have hundreds of people who watch this each week now. And and, and so, so maybe this is a place you pause and you can talk about this. I'm not pausing here, guys. Sorry. But you can think about it and maybe chat about it later. But when was the last time that you truly, truly rested. Now, to clarify, I'm not talking about a day off. I'm not talking about a nap, and I believe naps are godly. I really do. Or as the, uh, in Hebrew, naps are called schlaf. So it's always good to have a good schlaf on a Sunday afternoon. That's what I think. I'm not talking about a nap. I'm not talking about going on holiday. I'm not talking about getting up early in the morning with a good cup of coffee and, and, and your Bible and just having those moments where it just rests. I'm not talking about any of those things. When was the last time you truly rested? And for some people listening to this, it might be years. Years and years. 
Now, the reason I say it's not like sitting by a campfire when you go camping like we did a few weeks ago. It was wonderful. We took our boys camping, and we built a campfire because there was still no fire ban. It was wonderful, and, you know, you fought off the mosquitoes. Jack got something like 31 on, on his legs, but then at the same time, Jack didn't put mosquito repellent on. So, you know, you learn. Um, he, he did after his bites. He was smothered in it. But we went camping. You can sit there in front of a fire, and it's relaxing. You can feel yourself go, ah. While at the same time, your mind, your soul, your heart still feeling like it's in turmoil. You're not at rest. That's not soul rest. That's resting, relaxing, but it's not soul rest. When was the last time you felt a deep inner soul rest? Where you could honestly say that you had found the enough that David is talking about. Where you could say, it is well with my soul. It is well. That regardless of the circumstances, remember David was being chased around between caves at different parts of his life. His life was up and down, up and down. And yet he could still say, I will not lack. I, I don't want for anything. That God is enough. That is soul rest. He leads me to green pastures. He makes me lie down. He leads me towards still waters. That's a soul rest. That's a rest where you're not... Constantly thinking about finances and family and health or work or what's next or goals and grades and dreams and where your brain is constantly going, where you actually go, I found my enough. See, the things that we look to for rest actually can be stressful. I mean, I could show by show of hands how many times have you guys been on holiday and you caught man alive, get into holiday is the most stressful thing in the world. And then when you come back, all the things that you've left behind that are waiting for you on your desk or in your life, when you come back, you go, why did we even go on holiday? This was just a waste of time. Like getting all the kids out of the door. I mean, the kids on holiday or whatever it might be. This, this is hard work. We look to friends for rest. And I've got some wonderful friends. But sometimes friends can be hard work. It doesn't necessarily bring soul rest, technology, toys. Can I say to those of you who are younger, the toys don't disappear. They just get bigger and more expensive. So we still fill our lives with toys, thinking in the toys that we're going to get soul rest. I need this thing. I need this place. I need this toy. I need this. I need this. I need this. Because in that, I'm going to find my true contentment and peace and soul rest. Only to find that we get it. What we've done is we've added another job to our lives. Because now the toy needs summarizing, winterizing, servicing, taking, borrowing, lending, fixing. You're like... This isn't soul rest. You know, when we were young, we believed that contentment and happiness and soul rest comes with getting that great job, that great partner, that great house, that great situation. And then when you get to being older, it's not like we're all shuffling around depressed, don't get me wrong. But when we get older, we still can resonate with the U2 song that says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Soul rest. See, this is what Jesus is promising. Soul rest. Not just rest, but a deep, deep rest. I remember when Sarah and I first came to Canada uh, in 2003, it's very difficult to describe to somebody who's lived here your whole life, especially in BC. Because let's be honest, BC is like God's back garden, isn't it? He's done a good job landscaping this thing. I mean, it's amazing. And you get off the plane, and I remember the first morning we woke up, it was in the middle of summer, and in, in just outside Vancouver, 
and there's the mountains. The air smells clean. The grass is kind of green compared to Britain. Uh, and you're like, this place is amazing. And then you see your first landscape. You go to visit, you go to Banff, you go through the Rockies. It's amazing. Especially when I think about where we came from. Where we come from was not bad, but it wasn't BC. But it's amazing how quickly it gets old. Yeah, Rockies. Yeah. You know, you drive through because you just want to get through it to your other side. It's amazing how quickly we get discontent with something. It just gets old. Why is that? Why is it that we're not finding true rest in the things that we see and feel? That we quickly get discontent again? That there's something else to be had? Why is that? You know, really simply, I believe it's because we've been created for far more. I think we do ourselves a disservice. Young people, we do ourselves a disservice when we think contentment, soul rest, and peace is going to be found in anything that you can get in this world because you've been created for more. You've been created with a divine fingerprint that, that God has put something in every one of us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that eternity has been placed inside of us. We were created to contain the, the spirit of God himself, to live forever. And so we're never going to satisfy and find soul rest in anything material because we've been created for so much more. And that when we get there, we find that this is the true essence of life. Bishop Augustine, St. Augustine, who was a, uh, a church leader from northern Africa in the 300s, said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. We convince ourselves that we're going to find the rest that we're looking for, while all the time it moves constantly, constantly closer to God himself. Because that's what we've been created for, the infinite. So here's what you find when you look at this verse. You get a promise. And please listen, because this alone is encouragement. You get a promise that through Jesus, the good shepherd, that you will find continual rest and restoration. Not just any old campfire rest, soul rest. That regardless of what's happening to you, around you, uh, uh, that people in, you are connected with, circumstances, your bank account, your, your health, your, whatever it might be, your age, it doesn't matter, that you can experience the it is well. That's what verse 2 and 3 tells us. It is well. Something really interesting about these verses because it talks about, it's, you notice it's plural. He doesn't lead us to a green pasture. It's green pastures. It's not just one water, body of water. It's continual bodies of water. Why is that? I don't know if you know this. This is why I love studying the Bible. That it's really worth digging into every word. Why is that plural? It's because of verse 4. Because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what this tells me is that Jesus is saying, the good shepherd, that God is saying, I will continue to lead you towards new pastures because life has ups and downs and wildernesses and pastures. It has still waters and storms. It has this up and down. It has times when you are walking through the valleys and it has its mountaintops. That life, and we're going to look at this deeply in a couple of weeks. And by the way, as a little side trail, I think that one of the most important things that we can teach our young people today is that suffering and pain and difficulty 
is not something has to be, like our culture sees difficulty and pain and suffering as an inconvenience and just not right. Whereas it seems as you read the scriptures that amazing things can happen in the midst of pain and suffering. That God can use it in ways that is significant and powerful. And our culture avoids it. And yet it seems that as you read the scripture that somehow God can sometimes and often be glorified through it. And we need to teach our young people that. That God is in control at all times. Not just when things are going well. But you see, life is challenging. Uh, one, of my, uh, one of the things I try and avoid pastorally is when somebody has an issue or a challenge or a problem they're experiencing and they come and see your pastor. Um, I try and avoid saying, oh, you should read this book. It's like, uh, like book grenade. Do you know what I mean? Like you throw the grenade and you run the opposite way because you've got nothing to share, nothing to say, but you should read this. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with recommending books, but I try and avoid just continually saying, you should read this, you should read this, you should read this. But when somebody's going through significant challenge and difficulty and pain and suffering, there is a book I recommend <laughs> that people read. And I think personally, it's one of the best books I've ever read on the subject, which is a book by Timothy Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Just listen to this small paragraph. No amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is, is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. Okay, so you might go, wow, that sounds like a really depressing book. <laughs> I don't want to read that. Um, do you know what, though, when I read that, I'm going, yes. My experience is, yes, life is fragile. But my experience is also green pastures still waters. That regardless of what happens in life, there are green pastures and still waters that the good shepherd leads us to in a way that you cannot find in our culture. That we try and replace it with toys and relationships and good things and holidays while all the time saying, actually, you're doing yourself a disservice thinking that you're actually going to find true soul rest in those things. But the true good shepherd does something amazing. In verse 3, it says, he restores my soul. So he leads us towards still waters. He makes us lie down by green pastures. That we find rest in that, because by the way, sheep only lie down when they're truly content. When they've finished eating, then they lie down, they feel safe, that there's nothing going to attack them. They feel safe and content. And then he goes on, he restores my soul. That word restore in the Hebrew, it's not spelt this way, but it's kind of, this is kind of the English equivalent, is shub. He restores, he shubes my soul. Just saying that makes me smile, I like it. He restores, he shoobs my soul. What it literally means is this. He returns to new. Another way you can translate it, and I really like this, is that he, can, he brings back liveliness. Sign me up. He brings back liveliness. It's life and life to the full, John 10, 10. The, it's like my Arnold graffiti. He takes it all away. And he replaces it with something new and better, which I'm sure wouldn't be difficult, given my graffiti. It's new. It's different. I am a new creation. He restores my soul. The areas of my life that have ceased to flourish, he breathes new life into. 
He injects life in areas that I think long since have died. As Sarah said at the end of this morning, he said it's almost like he resuscitates the lifeless in our life. Things that we've just given up on. Oh, that was for then. The way I felt was then. Life isn't like that anymore because life has dealt you so many blows, you think that has gone. Well, I'm telling you, this is what the scripture says, that the good shepherd promises to shoob life into your soul. Soul rest, where anxiety reigned and sickness has controlled, where fear has taken over, where stress has filled the vacuum, God says, I'm going to breathe life into that. That sounds good to me. That regardless of viruses, pandemics, issues, circumstances, difficulties, tension, an overriding sense of just things not being right, that he will breathe shub. He restores your soul. Sign me up for that. How? How do we do that? Sounds great. If I said amen there, I'm gone, okay, have a, a great shub of a week. See you next week. You'd be like, oh, well, how? How do we do that? Because the way that the world leads us towards rest often leads us feeling shameful and, and falling short. Well, you're not doing well enough. You should be working hard. You should make more money. You should get more toys. You will find rest for your soul there. And all this time we're going, no, no, no. It's just breeding more discontent. So how does the scripture tell us? Well, Jesus himself tells us. There's literally two or three verses in the New Testament that tell you how to get rest for your soul. So today you can leave going, I've got some homework to do. And this, today you can start having shub, uh, followed by a good schlaf <laughs> this afternoon on your Sabbath. Verse 28 of Matthew 11, which gets really practical. And what I love about this verse is that Jesus himself tells you what to do. So if you don't do it, it's because you're disagreeing with Jesus. Um, that, that's okay. If you want to do that, if you're brave enough. Verse 28, Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Let's just stop there for a second. One of the things that is accusations, uh, observations that people level against Christianity, if you're a skeptic or atheist or somebody who would be more in the secular uh, world. One of the accusations against Christianity is that Christianity gives you a set of rules that you must live life by and that culture just lets you be who you want to be. You know, you can think the way you want to think, feel the way you want to feel, follow your feelings, whatever that means, and just, just be no judgment, go for it. It sounds great, but it's actually a total lie because our culture lays all sorts of rules and laws upon life that says you must be this way, do this way, think this way, watch this, listen to that, dress this way, don't do this, don't do that. It's, it's, it just lays out its heavy laden labor. You really want to find soul rest? You need to get some great grades. Because those great grades are going to result in you getting into a university. Not any old university. The best universities. The ones on the East Coast. Yes. Well, that way for you. Because that's really important. You're going to find soul rest if you get into that university. You need to get to McGill. Sorry, there's nothing wrong with McGill. Just saying, if people see McGill as soul rest, there's an issue. And then once that, you'll be able to maybe get your master's. Then you can write your own check for soul rest. 
You get that job, you get that income, you'll have power, you'll have influence, you'll get a great looking partner, you'll have a lovely house, a beautiful car, you'll be able to do whatever you want, retire at 40 and collect seashells for the rest of your life. <gasps> Soul rest. Except when that doesn't happen, or if that doesn't happen, guilt, shame, heart, like you, you're falling short. Do better. Because look on social media. Look at all these people who seem to be so much more successful and better looking than you. Guilt, shame, hard work, heavy labor, heavy laden, burden. That's what it looks like in our culture. I'll have anything but that. Again, nothing against McGill. If anybody's watching from McGill, same. I'll have anything but that. Jesus says, come to me. Here's the alternative. You can have labor and be heavy laden. Or... You can come to me, and I will give you rest. You don't have to work for it. I'll give it to you. In the sense of, it's a gift to you. And jump here, and you will find rest for your souls. So there's a prescription here. If you want soul rest, there's a way to get it. And it's not the way our culture would say. It's actually buried in the middle here. How do we find this soul rest? Take my yoke upon you. Now, you might read that and go, what has eggs got to do with it? Has Jesus got a load of chickens? What's going on here? Well, a yoke, for those of you who don't know, and I had to look it up when I first read this, was a a wooden apparatus that they put on oxen or cattle to help them plow. And when one one oxen goes one way, the other one follows. It's just they're literally linked. It's like the two becoming one. And so when Jesus said that, it would make complete sense to his listeners because they would know that he's saying, look, I'm the rabbi, I'm the teacher, Jesus. You yoke yourself to me. That was a very common term. It literally meant you become a disciple, an apprentice of mine. Go where I go, do what I do, think the way I think, read what I read, uh, just follow my practices. And that's what apprentices used to do with their teachers. They would literally follow them around. You'd see a rabbi with a trail of apprentices. Now, for me, that could get quite annoying. Please leave me alone. But literally, that's what would be happening in that culture. When the rabbi sat, they sat. When the rabbi got up, they got up. When the rabbi read, they read. They would read what he was reading, speak like him, until eventually they became him. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. But what you're going to find is I'm gentle and I'm humble. And you will find rest. There's no pride in him. He's actually just going to continually point you to the way that God has created us to live, the original design, the Arnold without six fingers. Be like me. Now, we make this very theologically heavy. What is discipleship? Let's do a 57-week study on discipleship and really dig into it, make it so complicated that the average Christian is going to go, I could never do that. Or you can just read one of the Gospels. And I'm going to give set some homework for those of you children. I'm not going to take it in or anything. But there's, I want, I'm, I'm going to suggest something for you this week in just a second. But you can read through, say, Mark, and make note of the different things that Jesus did. Here's what you're going to get. You're going to see that Jesus was generous. You're going to see that Jesus was sacrificial. You're going to see that Jesus lived simply. 
you're going to see that Jesus prayed. You're going to see that Jesus withdrew in silence and solitude. You're going to see that Jesus fasted. You're going to see that Jesus was always available. That even when he was tired, he made himself available to the people in this culture that were most needy. You're going to see Jesus related to the rich and the poor. You're going to see Jesus do the will of the Father. You're going to see very, very practical things that you can immediately translate into your life. Fasting, I can do that. Praying, I can do that. Studying the Word, Jesus knew the Bible, I can do that. Silence and solitude, yep, I can do that. Yet there's no yeah, but, I can do that. I can make a decision to do it. We know we want soul rest, but often we're unwilling to do or often not willing to not do the things that actually bring us to be an apprentice of Jesus. In the back of our minds, let's be really honest, we think, actually, I can do this myself. My way is better. I'll just keep chasing this and I'll find soul rest where Jesus goes, no, look, you need to do one thing. Be my apprentice. Do what I do. And here's what beautiful, this is what's beautiful about this, is that soul rest emerges. Not one of us can put soul rest as a to-do for tomorrow. Okay, I've got to do this, go to this, clean the car, got to do that, cut the grass, and I'm going to do soul rest. Check. I soul rested today. Whew. We can't do that. Soul rest emerges from us doing other things. But it's hard work. That's why Paul says that we, we need to work in our salvation. Not work for our salvation, but work at it. So there are things, there are apps, there are stuff on our phones we need to take off. It might mean that you go down to the lake and do a really, really good stone skip with your phone. Whatever it takes. Isn't it better to do that and get soul rest if your phone is the thing that is keeping you away from Jesus? What things in our lives that do we need to remove in order to enable us and position ourselves well to be like Jesus? And they're very practical. Meditating on scripture. You can earn a lot of money and still live sacrificially and simply. You can do that. Living through the lens of needs and generously giving. I've been blown away over the last few months by the generosity of our church family. It's amazing. You know, as my position now, is, as, as, as well as doing this, but as executive pastor, where I actually am more involved in the finances of the church than I've ever been before, and it's just humbling. It's humbling. You can live sacrificially and simply. One of the things that as a family, just to give you an example, of something you can make a decision to do, doesn't take like I'm going to need to fast and pray and get Archangel Gabriel to tell me whether I should do this. It's just something you can do. You can start today. And we've been doing it for four weeks now. And it has actually changed a number of things, which is having a Sabbath. Uh, or a Shabbat, as I like to call it, because I like to impress my, or annoy my kids. Um, so for us, Sabbath starts now on Fridays. Nothing special about Friday, okay? I'm not saying it's not, it's just that it's convenient for us. From dinner time Friday till dinner time on Saturday, we put our phones away. Okay? And we don't do a lot of stuff. We kind of sit about and read a lot. We might watch a movie that makes us laugh. 
Anything that is good or holy or excellent, it's not like we shuffle around singing Hillsong songs all day. It's, not, it's just that we don't, we don't run errands. We don't do work. I don't check emails. I don't check texts. I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. And as a family, we've started to do that. The reason we stop, the reason that works for us is because it's Saturday at dinner time. I need to start getting back to my sermon for this. But just changing that, why do we do Sabbath? Because Jesus did Sabbath. And if Jesus, it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. You know what's really interesting for those of you who like this stuff? Because this fascinates me. If you look at Genesis and you look at the creation account, what you've got is God making stuff and then saying, this is good. He makes something, this is good. He makes something, this is good. And at the very end, he says, this is very good. Then he takes a rest. By the way, he never, never says that, okay, and then he picked up work again. I actually personally think that everything is still under God's rest. It's kind of a cool way of looking at, you know what, it's okay. I've got this. But what he does is he blesses, this is good, this is good, and he blesses it, and then he says, take a day off. God took a day off. And, and we get prideful when we do it. Like we get pride, and I have to say this, there was a point in my life when I was like this, where what's the standard answer? How are things going? Oh, I'm so busy. And we get kind of prideful about that. When was the last time you said, actually, I've got nothing much going on right now. Life is really restful. People are going, really? You need to work harder, buddy. Like, that, that's our kind of instinct in our culture, but God said, take a rest. But then he does something special with this day, and this is what I want you to think about, just for Sabbath. And we're going to teach more on this stuff in the new year, in the, in the fall. Um, he blesses it, and then he makes it holy. He doesn't make anything else holy in creation. You ever notice that? He makes time Holy. A day holy. Not the mountains or the trees. I mean, you can go and hug a tree as much as you like. You ain't going to get closer to the divine. You know, you, pantheism's your thing. It's ridiculous, but that's a whole other conversation. He doesn't make it holy. He blesses it. He makes time holy. Like, putting that day aside where your mind and your attention and your thoughts are upon God is holy. We make places and things and buildings holy. God makes time holy. And so for us as a family, it's just one thing. We've said, we're going to have a Sabbath. Maybe that's something you want to consider. That's just one thing that can bring soul rest into your life. So here, here's your homework. This is what I would encourage you to do. Mark has got 16 chapters. Okay? You divide 16 by two chapters a day, you've got eight days, which is almost next Sunday. So, you know, almost a week. Uh, two chapters a day starting today through to next Sunday. And what I want you to do is I want you to read it and just make note of the things that, you, that Jesus did that you can do. You'll see he withdrew from the crowds. I can withdraw. Didn't isolate himself. He just separated himself from a time until they found him. Jesus uh, prayed. I can pray. Just write down the practical things that imagine if you were actually following Jesus and you observed him do. Then pray, what can I start doing? What can I start doing? Maybe it's Sabbath. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's silence and solitude. Maybe it's just being a little bit more simple, thinking, do I need this rather than I really want this? Just, just make note as you go. Maybe you can do it as a family, two chapters a day. 
What have you noticed that how does Jesus live that we could do? I think that's a really great exercise. And then pray and ask the Lord to help you follow through with it. Because that is what Jesus did for us. He followed through with the will of the Father so each of us can have the opportunity to be able to follow him through his sacrifice, through his death, through his love for us. He died on the cross so I can even have the ability to live like this, so I can have soul rest. Soul rest only comes through the cross and Jesus. And if you've not experienced that, if you've never really lived that, then the first question you have to ask is whether you've ever come to Jesus and asked him to rule over your life and ask for forgiveness and believe that he is the son of God. That he died and took the punishment that you and I truly deserve. And then our life of soul rest adventure can start. Sounds good to me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we study your word, it's so rich, so beautiful. What an amazing passage of scripture. So grateful, Lord, for the gift of the Bible into our lives. Lord, it transcends age and culture always relevant. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for looking to other things for soul rest. That, Lord, that you created and designed us for something so much more. And so, Lord, I pray that this week there's a church as a group of people in this room for all those listening online, that, God, that we'd find those moments to take on your yoke and follow after you. And Lord, I pray soul rest. Lord, those who are really in need of that today, that God, that we would yoke ourselves to you. And Lord, for those who don't know you, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that they, Lord, would would humble themselves before you. Ask that you would change them and seek forgiveness from you and declare that you are Lord of their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you're watching online and you would like to connect with us or let us know if you want to become a Christian or want to know more about Christianity or just have some questions, then you can click connect and uh, someone would gladly be in touch with you this week and help you with any of those questions. Or if you want something to be prayed for or prayed over, then uh, we would love to do that for you. But... uh, We're going to spend a couple more minutes just in reflection here, but for everyone at home or wherever you're watching and your watch parties, God bless you and pray you'll really enjoy your time in Mark and and we'll see you next week. Make sure you tune in or come and join us. That'd be great. God bless you.